Welcome to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to wakeparkchurch.org. Today's scripture comes from James chapter 1. That is on page 830 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to turn there. We will start in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accepted, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. A few weeks ago, we were back in Sioux Falls, and my, I was, we were visiting family. And my nephew asked me, they said, have you seen Kelby's car yet? Kelby is my brother. He's about three years younger than me. Have you seen Kelby's car yet? And, uh, and I figured, well, I, you know, I don't know anything about it, but it's got to be something pretty significant that my nephew would say, you've got to check out his car. Now, my, my brother has been pretty successful. In fact, I'm, I'm proud of him in many, many ways. He's started multiple businesses and, you know, has sold them to larger companies. And so he's done really well. And he tells me that at 45, he's retired now. And, uh, and I don't know, I just can't see him not doing anything for the rest of his life. So I'm not sure. Maybe he'll get a part-time job or something. But anyway, so his car... His car is, uh, I found out, uh, or I talked to him and I said, all right, I hear I need to see your car. And he was happy because he's proud of his car. And his car is a BMW M5. And, uh, and I don't really know enough about BMWs to know what trim package this is. But, uh, but basically, uh, it's a sports car with a, that's it. And, and actually, he, that isn't even started yet. That's how fast the car is. It's just, it's sitting still and that's what it looks like, right? Uh, it has a 610 horsepower engine in it. And just for some reference, for those of you who aren't carpet, Corrine will understand this. She'll know. And Miriama will know this as well. But, uh, but I have an SUV. has a V6 in it. Uh, it's meant to, like, tow things. And it has, uh, it, it, that engine is 290 horsepower, right? So this little sports car, the engine, has more than twice as much horsepower. It, it is, it's fast, all right? In fact, uh, it, it has something called launch mode in it, right? If, if it gives you any, any sense of, of what that's like. Uh, and it goes from 0 to 60 in 2.4 seconds. Yeah, he took me, took me out in it. 
And uh, what is that? Uh, there's kind of a weird noise going on up here. Is that uh, is that is it my mic again? Okay. All right. I'll, it's the launch mode. <laughs> it must be. We're we're getting ready to launch here. Anyway, so he took me out for a drive, and and I I kind of like to go fast, but this was scary. You know, we were like cruising along at 20 miles an hour and he gunned it and it like started peeling out from 20 miles an hour. So this is, this is a fast car. Well, um, apparently when you buy one of these cars, along with the package, you actually get a few days of BMW driving school, right? They take you, they fly you out to California to a professional track and, uh, and they teach you how to drive it. And, of course, when, when, they, when you think about that, you go, well, how, why would you need to learn how to drive a car like this? Because I was looking at it, and it has a steering wheel, just like my car, and it has an accelerator pedal, just like my car, and it has a brake and a shifter thing, uh, all of that stuff. And it's all in the same place, mirrors, the whole works. It all looks the same. And so why in the world would, uh, would we need to go to a driving school in order to learn it? Well, it, basically it's this. It's because it's really hard to handle that much power. Okay? That's really the reason why. Okay? Now, that much power can be useful. I, I don't know if he's going to tow anything with it. Probably not. Uh, but, but, you know, if you have a car with that much power, you can tow a lot of stuff. Uh, but if you punch the accelerator too hard, it's very easy to end up in the ditch. Right? So here's the question. Why am I talking about my brother's car? It's a great metaphor for anger. All right? Now think about this. Anger is an emotion. And just like all other emotions, there are times when it can be useful, but it can also be very dangerous. Okay? If you punch it a little bit too hard, you can end up in the ditch. You're out of control. Right? And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how do we deal with our anger. And so maybe the first question that we have to ask, ask is, is what is anger? And of course, I've already said it's an emotion, but I will say that anger is actually a God-given emotion. Okay? God created our bodies with the capacity for anger. And its purpose is to alert us to injustice. Okay? Anger is not something that we can control uh, uh, that we can control directly, but it's actually a conscious bodily response that happens in our body when something happens that we aren't really very fond of, right? Uh, and if it's God-given, then there must be a purpose for it as well, right? Uh, for instance, true injustice should actually make us angry. When we hear about children being trafficked uh, in the sex trade, that should make us angry. Okay, when we see people being treated unfairly, we should experience anger. Okay? We should experience anger in some cases. If you never feel anger welling up inside of you, that's not necessarily a sign that you are too righteous. It could be that you've just grown callous to injustice. Okay, now, anger is a bodily emotion, uh, and emotions are body, bodily signs that should cause us to pay attention. In other words, we don't just go along with our emotions. We have to step back and we have to think through them. 
Okay? Because our emotions don't automatically correspond to truth. Our emotions are actually learned responses that have to be calibrated to a standard. Okay? You know what that means to calibrate something, right? Maybe tuned, you have, like you have to tune a guitar, or you have to calibrate a scale to, to zero to get an accurate reading. Okay? Uh, emotions have to be calibrated in that same way. And, and the proof of this is sports. Right? If any of you are sports fans, I guess you don't probably even have to be a sports fan to understand this. Uh, think about two people who are sitting next to each other and they're watching a game and they're cheering for different sides. They could be watching the exact same game, watching the exact same play, the exact same call by a referee, and have two completely different emotions about it. One will be very angry about it. The other one will be elated about it. Now, why is that? It's the same event. Well, it's because their emotions have been calibrated to their particular team. Now, our emotions are calibrated by all kinds of experiences, and they are always calibrated to a foundational set of beliefs. They come from our family of origin, they come from culture, they come from a friend group, or they come from our faith. But there is no neutral set of foundational beliefs. And so as Christians, we need to calibrate our emotions to what God says is right and just. And when we do that, then we will be angry about what makes God angry, and we will be happy about what makes God happy. Okay? Now, we'll talk about righteous anger in a minute, but first of all, we need to wrestle with the fact that the Bible actually never advocates for responding in anger. It never does. Okay? Now, there are a couple of instances that, that people point to sometimes that say, well, you know, maybe we can use anger. One of them is Ephesians 4.26, which in the NIV says this. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. All right? Now, it, it says in the NIV, it says, be angry. But a lot of scholars will say, well, actually, that's not really how Paul actually words it. It actually is more of a recognition that there are times in your life when you are going to experience anger. Right? And so what he's saying is, is hey, you're going to experience anger, but when you do, do not sin. Okay? Pay attention to what you do with it. Okay? So I'm not sure that that one can do it. The other one is, is where uh, Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple. Obviously, Jesus is angry there. He gets a whip. And, and, uh, and so a lot of people point to that as an example of, well, it's okay for us to, to give in to anger and to use violence in order to accomplish a righteous purpose. But I'm not sure that, I mean, we can talk about that if you want, but I don't think that's really what the passage is saying. I don't think it's advocating that we do the same thing. The passage itself certainly doesn't, doesn't say that. Um, and if that's the only evidence that we see in Scripture, it's pretty thin evidence, especially given the fact that dozens and dozens of dozens of other times where it talks about anger, it either says, put it away or be very, very careful with it. So for instance, Proverbs 29, 22, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Okay? Or Matthew 5.21 with, with Jesus. Jesus says, You have heard it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Ephesians 4.31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. The passage that we're going to look at and that, that Adrian read a little bit earlier, 
is from James chapter 1, verse 20. And it's going to tell us that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, you can try to use anger, but it's not going to work, is what Paul is saying. Okay? Now, there are dozens more uh, other references to anger in the Bible. In fact, every vice list in the New Testament includes anger and all of the other things that go with it as things that we need to, to put away. Clearly, we need to take anger seriously, which is why we need anger driving school, right? Uh, the truth is, is that we cannot not feel anger. Everyone feels anger at some point. Uh, but if we never see ourselves getting hot at injustice uh, or something like that, it's not necessarily because we're righteous. It's because our conscience is deformed. Okay, and so let's talk for a minute about a number of deformations of, of anger. In other words, inappropriate ways that we get angry. Okay, of course, the first one is one that I just mentioned, is when we aren't angry at the right things, like injustice. If you think, see bad things happening, and you don't have some, something welling up inside that you want to do something about it, then probably your conscience needs to be recalibrated a bit. Okay? The second is when we start to get angry at wrong things. Okay? The fact of the matter is, is that there are some things that are just not worth getting angry about. And this first one is one that hits me right here, okay? And that is sports. Okay? Anyone, anyone else? Anyone with me here? All right? Not worth getting angry about. Okay? Now, sports, one of the great things about sports is that they can stir in us some amazing emotions. I mean, you remember watching the Minnesota Miracle a couple of years ago. I mean, that, it's just great to be able to jump around and go crazy and call your friends and there's some camaraderie there. They create a lot of great emotions in us, right? But at the same time, uh, I've spent too much time in my life justifying the anger that I feel when my favorite team loses, or a call goes against them, okay? The truth of the matter is, is it really doesn't accomplish anything. I hate to say it. I'm glad my wife is not in here listening to this, right? <laughs> it doesn't accomplish anything, and in fact, sometimes it harms other people or at least annoys them. And it trains us to, to give in to unexamined and unrestrained anger, okay? So there are just some times when it's just not worth getting angry about, and so those are things that we have to work on, okay? Sometimes we just get angry when, because someone else is angry. That ever happened? Especially in marriage, your spouse is angry, and so what happens? You start to level up a little bit, right? Um, and it only escalates things, and that's the problem. When you get angry just because someone else is angry, that's why Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes we get angry just when we don't get our way, okay? Many of us, in fact, all of us, I hope, are concerned about fairness, but most of the time, we're really only concerned about it when it applies to us, right? I mean, we, we, we think a lot about fairness when it applies to us, okay? We don't like other people to cut in line in front of us. How many of you have heard of the zipper merge before, okay? How, how many of you do it? Or how many of you get annoyed when other people don't do it, right? Or when someone, you know, cuts you off or races ahead of you in traffic, you know, and, and we feel like we're justified, right? Because it's dangerous. They could hurt someone. But, but think about what you're doing there. So the problem is, is that your anger is not going to solve their dangerous problem, right? It's only going to lead to your more erratic driving, Okay? Again, I'm glad my wife isn't in here, right? 
All right, so let's talk about this for a minute. How about using anger as a parenting skill, right? Our job as Christian parents, of course, is to raise our kids to know and to love Jesus. It's discipleship. It's to, it's to build character in our kids, all right? Now, keep that in mind as you hear, again, this line from our passage today, James chapter 1. Human anger does not bring about the righteousness that God requires, right? And what James is saying here is, is, well, you know, you might try to use anger as a strategy, but I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not going to work, right? In fact, all you're doing is teaching your kids two things. Number one, maybe to fear you, okay? And number two, that it's okay to act out on your anger. That's what, that's what you're teaching them when you respond in anger, okay? And here's what I found, is that usually our anger at our kids has more to do with us than it does with them. Am I right? Okay, I, I see a few nods out there. Okay, so think about it. You're putting your kids to bed, and you want them to go to bed right now at 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock or, or whatever. Okay, now, why do you want to put them to bed at that time? Okay, it's because, you know, when kids get 10 hours of sleep, they're healthier, and they, you know, they grow, and their body can fight off disease and, and things like that, right? Okay, but when you get angry about it, is that what you're thinking about? No, not at all. What you're thinking about is, is I've had a long day, I'm tired, and I want to get you out of my hair so I can have some quiet time, right? Isn't that what we're doing? That's why we get angry when our kids don't go to bed. Or think about when we're trying to, when we want them to behave when they're out in public, right? Um, do we get angry at them because we're so concerned that they're developing Christ-like character, uh, when they're at the mall. I mean, I hope so. I hope that we're concerned. That at least that's kind of an underlying sort of thing. But when we get angry at our kids, if, uh, if, we, if, our, if that was our primary motivation, uh, growing them to know and to love Jesus, then we wouldn't fly off the handle like we do, right? In fact, have you ever thought about that, that metaphor, fly off the handle? What does it mean? It's talking about an axe, right, where the, the axe head flies off the handle like that. So it's a great metaphor for, for you know, when we give in to our anger, right? Okay. Um, usually what happens, the reason that we get angry like that is because it ref we think it reflects badly on us as parents. Because it's not really about their development. It's really more about how people are perceiving us. And the truth of the matter is, is that most of the time when we get angry, it's from selfishness or from a lack of perspective. Okay, we lose perspective on how important things is. Okay, here's another deformation. When we're eager to provoke others or we are easily provoked. Okay, there, there are words in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that have to do with provoking someone else to anger. Okay, uh, they're, they're sometimes, you know, we think about it as being irritating or being combative. Okay, and there are also words that talk about being too easily provoked when we allow ourselves to, uh, to be too easily provoked. We translate that as hot-tempered or ill-tempered right? Okay, and of course, this is a big problem in marriages, okay? When you live with someone long enough, you let your guard down, and you start to become defensive, right? And, and sometimes, or, or this happens a lot with siblings, they'll just pick at each other just to get each other angry, right? Or they allow themselves to be, to have their buttons pushed too easily, and over time, what happens is, is relationship starts to erode, 
Okay, and so that's the case in our families. It's also the case in our society today, whether it's politics or advertising or social media. All of those things reward people who provoke others in the battle arena of words. Okay, so when we say outrageous things and mic drop statements, that gets a lot of retweets and clicks and attention. Okay, provocative headlines, right? You see a lot of provocative headlines today, don't you? And the reason that that happens is, is because they work. They make people click on them. Every election season, we ask the same question. Why do they use so many attack ads? Why do the politicians have to be so negative? Okay, do you know why? Because they work, right? Because it's scientifically proven that they are money makers for the candidates. They get out the vote, all of those things. It, it, it works. The reason they have attack ads is because it works. Because we are in a society that thrives on provoking people to anger. Okay? Our world says that we need to operate this way in order to accomplish anything. Okay? But remember, human anger does not bring about the righteousness that God requires. Okay, so as believers, we cannot allow ourselves to be sucked in, whether it's in our family or in our society or whatever group of people that we're in. It only leads us down internet rabbit holes of rage reading about the latest, most important issue of our generation, right? It's almost to the point where it's hard to motivate anyone by anything other than outrage, and for one side, it's justice. For the other side, it's moral decadence. And it just so happens that I believe in both of those things. I believe in justice. And by the way, all justice is social, okay? And I also believe in the biblical call for us to pursue righteousness, that if we all did that, then society would be better, okay? But there's certainly some nuance to this when it comes to anger, okay? So think about someone like Martin Luther King Jr., for instance, okay? He provoked a lot of people to anger. You have to admit that. There were a lot of people who were really angry at what he did. But you also have to realize that he was very intentional about what he did, okay? About following the example of Jesus and the principles of nonviolent direct action, Okay? He was measured, he was strategic, he spoke the truth, and he never refused to go and sit at the table with one of his enemies to talk things out. Okay? And so people will ask the question, well, how can we fight racism if we don't get angry? How can we fight against abortion without being controlled by anger? Okay? Well, the way we do it is we hold swerving unswervingly to the way of Jesus. Okay? And that means that we stand for both righteousness and justice, that we are committed to both truth and love, and we have the goal of reconciliation. Okay? That's how we do it. Okay? It means that we're, pass that we're not passive, but we're active, that we're taking on the mission of Jesus but the mission of Jesus who fought for justice and who fought for righteousness through things like servanthood and relationship and the power of God and the willingness to die for his enemies. Okay? If you don't think that kind of work can be done without anger, just look up Brian Stevenson sometime. Okay? Just Google him and, uh, and just watch him uh, talk a little bit. Okay? That kind of a life requires a recalibration of our conscience and of our emotions to the way of Jesus, okay? One more deformation is when it leads us to actions that are disproportionate to the wrong that's been done, okay? Anger tends to escalate things. 
We have violence and outbursts and hurtful words that we can't take back, bitterness, freezing people out, broken relationships, and oftentimes over things that are, in reality, really silly. Anger tends to escalate things. And so we have to be very careful and intentional about how we handle anger because when we make it a habit to indulge our anger time after time, we become angry people. So I mentioned earlier that anger is going to be a part of our life. Okay, So I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth. The fact of the matter is, is you will get angry. And so the question is, is what do we do with our anger? Well, the one thing that you have to realize is, is number one, it takes some intentional effort. If this is a problem for you, if you're someone who's prone to get angry, you have to be very intentional about it. And I think it also takes the work of the Holy Spirit in you. I think you have to rely on the power of God to be able to do this. But here's how I think about dealing with anger, okay? I think you need short-term goals and you need long-term goals, okay? Short-term goal number one, do no harm, okay? Just commit to doing no harm in anger. Because the fact of the matter is, is when we allow anger to control us, we become kind of like the Hulk, right? Um, and uh, the, the Hulk, you, you probably are familiar with the Hulk. He just wants to smash things, right? With his, with his, he does it with his fists. Most of us probably don't do it with our fists, but we do it with our mouth. And we do it with our attitudes and we do it with our actions, okay? And that's why James tells us that we should be slow to, spe- uh, to, slow to speak and slow to become angry, okay? This simply means Learning the signs of when you know you're getting angry. Pay attention to your body, okay? Your neck will get hot or your hair will stand up or, you know, you, you know when you start to get angry. And what you have to do is, at that time, you have to realize that that's not a call for you to do just whatever you feel like doing at that time. It's a call for you to take a step back, knowing your natural tendencies, and first of all, not making things worse by responding in anger. Now, there are a couple of ways that we make things worse, a couple of harmful ways that we deal with anger. The first one is to spew it, right? And this comes out in rage or hurtful words or sometimes even physical violence or threats, okay? And usually, the ones who take the brunt of this are the people who are closest to us, right? Because they're the ones who are around. And the bad thing about it is, is that oftentimes, the anger that we're feeling is not even about them, It's not something that they did, but we get angry because of something that happened at work and we bring it home and we take it out on them, right? And that's how we oftentimes do harm, okay? So don't take it out on people who, you know, especially people who didn't do it, but don't take it out on anyone, okay? Take the time and back up and and think about it a little bit. Second thing that we can do with anger that's harmful is we can stuff it. We can stuff it. Now, this might not be harmful right at the beginning, but over time, things, it starts to harm things. Okay? When you stuff anger, you don't actually deal with it. Okay? If you ask a stuffer how they're, how they're doing, they'll say what? They'll say, fine. Right? Fine. They'll kind of say it like that too, right? Or, I don't want to talk about it. Right? And the fact is, is they maybe never want to talk about it. And that's what it means to, to stuff it. But the, the problem with stuffing it is this. Is, have you ever tried to hold a beach ball under the water? Right? How, how does it work? I, I mean, there, there may be some, like if they're really small, you might be able to get down there. But after a while, it's going to surface. 
right? And this is what ha- happens when we stuff our anger. Okay, you can hold it down, but after a while it's going to surface. And if for some reason you actually are, are successful in stuffing it for long enough, uh, actually what will happen is, is it'll start to build up things like resentment and contempt for people. Okay, if anger says, you hurt me, contempt says, you're not worth my time. If you don't address it, then I'm going to tell you that path is inevitable. Okay, it's going to come back up. You cannot avoid it. All right, so with these two areas of anger, spewing it damages relationships by hurting other people immediately. Stuffing it damages relationships by changing you. Okay? Stuffing it will make you into an angry and resentful person. Okay? Now, both of these ways of dealing with anger push other people away, and they diminish our ability to love. All right? So, once you get through that short-term goal of not doing any harm, then you can start move to the long-term goals. Okay? There's two of them. And the first one is this. Um, is your first long-term goal is to calibrate your anger to Christ. You have to calibrate it to Christ. And the way to calibrate it, first of all, is to study it, right? When you, uh, James says in, in verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, right? Now, I think there are three things that you need to listen to, okay? Uh, and it takes a lot of maturity to be able to do this, a lot of self-awareness to be able to do this. But you should listen to the other person if, it, if there's someone else who's involved, you should listen to your anger or listen to what's going on inside, and you should listen to God. Okay, those are the, the three things. Okay, and I don't know if this is sequential. I don't think it probably is. I think they kind of happen around the same time. But those are the three things that you have to listen to and you have to understand when you study your emotions. Okay, first of all, if there's someone else involved, then make sure you try to understand them and their point of view. Why are they saying the things that they're saying? Why might they have the perspective that they have? Okay? Uh, and try to do it in the most charitable way possible and see why they might be acting the way they are. Give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove that they are intentionally trying to harm you or that they have bad intentions. Okay? So listen to them. And the fact is, is you might find out that you're actually wrong or there might be a change or there might be some compromise that you come to. Okay? But if you don't listen to them and try to really understand, then you will have a hard time controlling your anger, have a hard time knowing if there's something that you need to change about yourself. Okay, then you need to listen to what's going on inside of you. Or maybe what you could do is you could ask God to reveal that to you. Say, okay, God, show me what's going on here. What's causing my anger? Uh, if this is something that's been a problem, with you for, uh, problem for you for a long time, you might want to start like an anger journal, right? And it's, and it's basically this. is keep track of the times throughout the day when you get angry about something. Just write at the t- moment, just jot it down. But then at the end of the day, go through it and, and start to study it and say, all right, so what was it that was really making me angry at that time? Is it something that I should have been angry about? Was I making a bigger deal out of it than what I should have? Is the person that I lashed out against, are they the one that I was really angry with? And just try to figure it out and try to start to see some patterns in this and you'll start to, you'll start to see them. But when you do this, you have to be very careful because our tendency is to justify our anger by blaming other people for it. Okay? So we'll you know, go in and we'll say, well, it's just my boss. That's just the way he is. Or if only my spouse were more thoughtful, 
you know, then I wouldn't be so angry. If only my kids would listen to me, then I would, then I would start to calm down. And the problem is, is that when anger controls us, we tend to start to blame other people. But most of the time, the anger has to do more with what's going on inside of me. Okay, so have you ever heard the phrase, you make me so angry? Right? If, if that's the case, if someone else can make you angry, then you have given them too much power over you. You've given them far too much power over you. Okay, so... Part of this process is not pointing the finger, at least first of all, at other people and ask God, all right, what's happening inside of me that I want to run this guy off the road because he didn't use his turn signal? What's happening inside of me? Okay, and what you'll start to realize is that the Vikings didn't wake up on Sunday morning and say, let's play terrible to make our fan base really mad, right? (laughs) What you'll find is, and I don't know this for sure, but probably that guy that cut you off in traffic didn't wake up this morning and say, I'm just going to do whatever I can to make Corey's life miserable, right? I mean, things happen, but I am responsible for my own misery. When you study your anger, you'll usually find that someone is pushing a button of yours, okay? Um... Unhealthy anger always reveals a deeper hurt, like feeling unvalued or belittled. Uh, You're frustrated because you see someone else as a roadblock to the plans that you have for yourself. And, And so you have to figure that out. What is the story? What is the narrative behind Uh, the need that I'm trying to meet, okay? Because you see, like I said, you can't deal with anger directly. You can't just say, all right, I'm just gonna stop being angry, okay? You have to go to the source. And so you can't just say, oh, I'm gonna try really hard, okay? Because the anger is not the problem. The problem is, is that there's some narrative that's going on inside of you, some underlying foundational belief about yourself and the world. And so if you change that narrative, then you will uh, recalibrate your anger. Okay? And this is why it's so important that we're honest with ourselves. Okay? Asking ourselves this question, is this something that I should be angry about? And what I've often found is, is that most of the time when I go to the source, I'm embarrassed about what I find. Third, you have to listen to God. Okay? He's the one that we have to calibrate our emotions to. Okay? So go to scripture and find out what is it that God wants for me? How, what kind of person does he want me to be? What is uh, his desire for me in the, mo- in the moment? What should the goals be that I have for life? And so we have to listen to that and, and to recalibrate our emotions and start to learn what God wants and then start to desire what God desires and be committed to doing what he says. Okay? Because if we say, well, I'm interested in what he says, but I'm not committed to doing that, it's not gonna do us any good in the first place, Right? So we have to calibrate our emotions then. Now, after you've, after you've done that, then you have to have another goal, okay? And, and it, possibly, okay? If it has, especially if it has to do with someone else. And that is, is that you have to resolve it. You have to resolve it. Sometimes after self-examination, you come to the conclusion that it's not just you, okay? That's possible. It's possible that you are not the problem. Your heart is clear and there is real wrong that has been done to you. Then you have to decide, what am I going to do about it? Okay? If it's a problem that you might be able to solve, 
then do what you can to solve the problem. Try to fix it, okay? And that might mean that you need to confront someone and show them their sin. It might mean that you need to speak out about an injustice or unfairness that's being done. If it's something that you can't control, then you might just need to let it go. And by let it go, I don't mean stuff it. I mean let it go, right? Uh, I can think of three testimonies in our church right now. Um, who have all said that a turning point in their faith was when they came to the realization that the person who hurt them was just a flawed person like the rest of us, okay? And they were able to forgive and to be able to let it go and to find freedom, right? So sometimes you just need to let it go. Sometimes you need to reconcile, okay? And if you need to do that, then go and make it right. Ask for forgiveness, or forgive, okay, go to that person and make it right. But the truth of the matter is, is you cannot fix everything, and holding on to anger or bitterness or regret will only enslave you, and that's why James says in verse 21, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which, you can, which can save you. Now, this maybe seems like a, a weird thing for him, like he's changing the subject. Well, he was talking about anger, now he's talking about moral filth. No, what he's saying is, is that moral filth, uh, anger is moral filth. And so get rid of it. Okay, allowing ourselves to be controlled by anger. Okay, so let me finish with this. Okay. Anger is not always selfish and it's not always trivial. I feel like sometimes, you know, as, as we talk, there's a, there's a chance that we could be making light of some things that are very serious issues. Sometimes anger is very appropriate because someone did some real harm to us and, and oftentimes in a way that is pretty irreparable, okay? And so you might ask the question, well, what do I do with that anger? What do I do with anger that I should be angry about? And the answer is, and I'm talking mostly about interpersonal relationships here, is that you have to process it and you have to forgive. Okay? There's no other way. Okay? Maybe there's someone in your life who has carelessly and repeatedly hurt you. Okay? What they did was not petty and the source of your anger is legitimate. Maybe you suffered abuse or bullying or hurtful words from someone that you thought loved you. Maybe you had a spouse that had an affair, a friend that betrayed you, a father who wasn't there for you. Okay? In all of these cases, your anger is justified. The question is then, what do you do with it? Okay? And I know that this is hard to hear. But this is the same thing that you do even with petty hurts. Same thing that you do even if your anger is misplaced. And even though it might be the hardest thing you'll ever have to do, you have to process it and you have to forgive. Okay? You cannot hold on to it. You, still, uh, you don't stuff it. And you don't say it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Okay? But you still have to process it and forgive. And you might say, well, you have no idea how much she hurt me. And that's true, I don't. And you might say, but if I forgive him, I'm letting him off the hook. But what I would say is, is if you don't forgive him, then he will continue to hold a power over you for the rest of your life. And when you forgive, you take back that power. If you haven't listened, by the way, to the podcast that we did with Linda or with Allison, they actually talk about this in there. Very, very specifically about this process of, of forgiveness. 
And, but you might want to ask the question, well, where can I find the power to do something that hard? Well, my answer to that is, is that you draw strength to forgive from Christ's example. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, there is someone who does know what it's like to be betrayed by someone who is close to him. There is someone who does know what it's like to be abandoned. In fact, this same man, Jesus, was tortured and executed. And while he was dying, remember what he said? Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Okay. And over and over and over, we see it throughout the New Testament. Forgiveness is the way Jesus' followers operate. Forgiveness doesn't minimize what happens. It's not denial. It is not to say that there was no harm done. If there was no harm done, then there's no need to forgive. But forgiveness means giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. Now, it's always great to hear stories of people who, when they forgive someone, it changes their life, changes their own life or changes the life of the person who hurt them. Those stories are really cool. They're heartwarming. But you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes we forgive and nothing happens. Or, or maybe the person refuses to acknowledge that they even need to be forgiven for anything. It takes a lot of emotional strength to forgive, a lot of maturity to forgive, and, and sometimes we're tempted to draw strength to forgive from a sincere apology. Or maybe we muster up the strength to forgive initially, but when the other person doesn't respond the way we want, we kind of take it back and we start to become bitter. And that's why forgiveness is so hard. Because we can't do it in our own strength. Because we don't always get an apology. We don't always get an admission of guilt. And even when we forgive, that person may not respond the way people respond in movies. And so rather than trying to draw our strength to forgive from an apology or from the other person responding the way we want, we have to draw our strength from the fact that God in Jesus forgave us. And the truth is, is that all of us have messed up. All of us are people who need to be forgiven. No exceptions. You look around the room, okay? There's no one in this room that hasn't needed to be forgiven for something. Okay? If you see them here, they stand in need of God's forgiveness. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5 says, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy... He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Okay, this is the source right here. This is the source. If we can get a sense of our own sinfulness, not to wallow in it, right? But just to have a realistic picture of ourselves. And for God's great love for us and his forgiveness for us, how could we do anything but extend that same love and forgiveness to others. Lord, we thank you for your word. And, uh, and I have to admit that this is a challenging one. Uh, I mean, not even the parts about 
just not getting angry over sports or petty things or, or that. And that's hard in and of itself. But I know that there are some people in here who are dealing with some very difficult matters. Some, if they're not life and death, they're certainly things that have, have turned their life upside down. And they're tempted to give in to things like anger and bitterness and contempt. Tempted to stuff it or tempted to hurt other people with their anger. But God, I pray that we as your followers would not be people who justify using anger. But that we would understand it. That we would feel it but be able to take a step back. And to calibrate what we feel to you and to your righteousness. Help us to understand, help us to take to heart that our anger does not bring about the righteousness that you desire in us. And help us to be able to act wisely and lovingly, even if firmly, toward our neighbors. God, I pray that you would be doing this work in us. And that we would look to Christ as our example. Lord, and even more than that, I pray that the, the power of our crucified and risen Lord would be working in us to remake us into the people that you have called us to be. The people would look at us and they would see something different about us. The ability to let go, the, the ability to forgive, the ability to not respond by escalating things, but to bring peace and forgiveness and reconciliation in the world. I pray for those in the congregation today who may struggle with this, may have dealt with the temper for a long time and they feel guilty about it, they feel terrible about it. God, I pray that you would give them the, the strength, the maturity to be able to finally deal with it, to take a step back, and to understand what you want to recalibrate their goals and their emotions toward what you want. So that more and more we can be like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.